Hey guys, Pete Mundo, HeartlandCollegeSports.com. It's this week's podcast. We took the radio show. We put it in podcast form just for you. So if you can do something for me, rate, review, subscribe, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Send me a, a screenshot of your review to Pete Mundo at HeartlandCollegeSports.com and I will send you free koozies. I am running low on them. So get on it. Let's do it. Thanks so much, guys. Enjoy the show. Safeties drop really deep. Handoff Sermon over the left side. Big hole. 30. First down. 25-20. Breaks a tackle. 15-10-5. The minister is into the end zone. Breach. Mason takes the ball, fakes a handoff, fires over the middle. It's caught by Aitman, and he takes it into the end zone. He juggled it for a moment, but got it back. Pistols firing. Touchdown, Oklahoma State's Marcel Aitman. There's more to us than that. Two receivers left, one right. Quarterback keeper here, 30-yard line. Jesse, 25-20, 15-10-5 to the goal line. Touchdown, 35 yards on the run for Jesse Ertz. Turpin in motion, they fake to him, hand to Hicks, he'll walk in and score. Hit the horn with 7.39 to play in the second quarter, and the Horn Frogs now go up 13-7 to seven in advance. 2,000 country stations, yeah, we're one big country nation, that's right. Welcome on in to Heartland College Sports Weekly. I'm Pete Mundo. It is great to be here with you as always, and... My goodness, is there a lot to get to? I was in uh, Kansas City last weekend. Big 12 tournament was going on. That was a great event. We had a lot of stuff up on our Instagram page, Twitter as well. Uh, Just a great scene at the Sprint Center, and it was a lot of fun. Now we've got the NCAA tournament underway and, and the whole thing. So just a really good time if you're a college sports fan. Spring football's getting going. You've got baseball underway. We'll get more focused on that once hoops wrapped up. So there's just so much to get to, and it's great to be here with you. If it's your first time on the show, heartlandcollegesports.com is our independently owned and operated Big 12 site. And I will tease this because... In a two, maybe three weeks, no more than three weeks, we will have a major announcement that will literally change the direction and the course of Heartland College Sports in an incredibly positive way. So stay tuned for that. Where I want to start is what's going on uh, with the Big 12 right now and the numbers that came down earlier this week. And that were the, the ratings for the Big 12 Tournament Championship game that was up 42% over last year's game. Now, to put that in perspective, last year it was West Virginia and Iowa State. This year it was Kansas and West Virginia. I get it that, and you should get it, I don't care if you're the biggest Iowa State fan, Kansas brings ratings like Iowa State never could. It's not a knock on Iowa State. That's just the reality and the state of the Big 12. When it comes to basketball, Kansas is one of a handful of blue blood programs that draw eyeballs. But on top of that, what makes this more impressive is that this number, this rating for the Big 12 championship game last weekend, was up 13% over two years ago, which was the same matchup, West Virginia and Kansas. 
Now, this tells me that this conference is continuing to see more momentum that's carried over from a solid football season into a really good basketball season, a ton of depth in this conference, and it's paying off with more eyeballs, not just in Big 12 country, but across the country. And there is a huge amount of value in that because, and and I've talked about this a lot, the past Ever since the conference realignment nonsense, the Big 12 has been searching for its identity. They're kind of like the awkward teenage kid that's going through puberty. He's got a, he or she has a ton of acne. They're growing into their body. It was that awkward phase for the past five or six years. No championship game. Do we have co-champions? What are we? Baylor, TCU, uh, back in, you know, 2013. It was a mess. But now it feels like this conference is humming. It is in the right direction. And you are seeing that pay off, not just on the field or on the court, but in the reaction from fans and in the television ratings. And that's enormous. On top of that, the Big 12 championship game had ratings 55% better than the Big East championship game that was on in the same time on Fox. That was Villanova and Providence. Now, those are two very regional schools up in the Northeast, but that is huge, 50% higher than the Big East Championship game at Madison Square Garden, where you have a team that's in Philadelphia, and you have another team that is right between New York and Boston. And let's be honest, it's not like those fans are watching the Yankees or the Red Sox last Saturday. There's nothing else going on. It's college football time. There's no Giants, Patriots, Jets, Mets, Yankees, Red Sox. There's none of that. And to think that Kansas and West Virginia blew out the Big East ratings is impressive and enormous moving forward. I just think it carries this conference into what's going to be a very successful uh, March and then from there a very successful baseball season into a great football season as well. I know that a lot of big-name players are missing, most notably Baker Mayfield, but I have such confidence in the coaches and the athletic directors in this conference. I think so much of it is trending in the right direction. And now to add to that, you have a situation here with the Big 12 getting seven teams into the NCAA tournament, which you have to look at as a percentage basis. Oh, this idea that the ACC got nine and the SEC got eight. Who cares? Who gives a rip? They got 14 teams in their conference, almost 50% more than the Big 12. I mean, my Big 12 has 70% of their teams. Baylor was one of the first four out, and Oklahoma State should have been in this darn thing. We'll get to that in a few minutes. But on a percentage basis, you saw this in football season with a true round robin and a ton of depth. You saw it in basketball season as well. This conference is becoming the most difficult conference in the country in football and in basketball because of its depth. Okay, fine. There's no Alabama in college football in the Big 12. I get that. I will agree with that. And after Kansas, a lot of these other teams of the Big 12, you can say, are flawed basketball teams. Sure, I'll even buy that a little bit. But this idea that the Big 12, which plays a double round robin in basketball and a true round robin in football, 
isn't difficult is SEC, Big Ten, whatever you want to call it, bias and nonsense. This is one of the reasons that Kansas is going to have such a difficult time digging itself out of the basement in football. It's not just because of what David Beatty is or isn't doing. When you are playing a true round robin and you don't get scheduling breaks every couple of years where you avoid playing some of the best teams in the conference, it's incredibly hard because you don't get that year or two where you don't have to play the Blue Bloods, the Oklahoma or Texas or whoever it might be. You want to laugh at Texas? Okay, pick another team in the conference. Um, Oklahoma State. You don't get that. You are playing everybody every year. So a team like Kansas that maybe doesn't have certain teams on its schedule one year and can get to four or five wins can then build some momentum on the recruiting trail from there and it'll have this snowball effect. That is much more difficult when you're dealing with true round robins. And that is not discussed enough when we talk about the Big 12 and how difficult this conference has become in football and in basketball. Because you think about a school like, I don't know, pick somebody, Georgia in the SEC East. They play Alabama in the regular season, what, twice every 12 years? I mean, that's that's comical. Or even take one of the worst teams in the SEC East, like Kentucky, for sake of an argument. Kentucky, they don't have to play Alabama. 10 out of 12 years. Well, that's great because if they did, that'd be an automatic loss. But a team like Kansas in football can't do that. Now in basketball, I think that Iowa State, which finished at the bottom of the conference, is going to be significantly better uh, next year. And I'm not really concerned at all with where that program is headed. It was just one of those rebuilding years. So No issues there, but there's so much that has to be addressed and discussed when talking about the Power Five conferences, how to stack them up. We got to the point where Jim Delaney and the Big Ten and the SEC, they were just trying to pile up. And remember the super conference talk with the Pac-12 and the Big 12 and what a mess that was going to be? Thankfully, it didn't happen because the Big 12 is getting the last laugh. Even look at the Pac-12. Look at what's going on in the Pac-12. All right, let me read these numbers out for you just because you're not going to believe it. You're really not. I promise you, you're not going to believe the truth here with where the Pac-12 is. Pac-12 this past year, major revenue sports. No college football playoff team. Bowl record was 1-8, worst ever. Two at-large bids in the NCAA tournament, both are playing in first four games. I mean, the Big 12 is not even close to being at the bottom tier of the Power Five. Not even close. And two years ago, you would have said they were near the bottom of the Power Five. It's not the case. The Big 12 is in a power stance, a negotiating power stance right now. And they don't need to commit to Larry Scott or anybody else. Jim Delaney, forget them. Screw them. They don't need these guys. The Big 12, for the first time in years, is in a negotiating position of power. And they need to realize that. From the presidents to the 80s to Bob Bowlesby. And if they can all stay on the same page 
And if they can all just go about their business and not let their egos get involved, if that's possible, the health and the future of this conference is incredible. Now, that can change at the snap of a finger, but sometimes you don't know what you have till it's gone. So there's a lot to enjoy. NCAA tournament this weekend, a ton of things going on. But that big picture had to be addressed and had to be discussed. Pete Munda with you on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Appreciate you joining us. So did the committee get it right? Oklahoma State, Baylor, Oklahoma, those are the three big debates. We'll get to that coming up on Heartland College Sports Weekly. So did the committee get it right? Did it get it wrong? Pete Munda with you, Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Go check us out there, independent Big 12 media outlet. It is great to be here with you. And uh, I think the committee screwed this up when it comes to the Oklahoma schools. I believe that Oklahoma State should have been in over Oklahoma. Baylor, I can understand leaving them as one of the first four out. Had they beaten West Virginia in the Big 12 tournament, they would have been in. It would have been fine. They didn't. And the Bears, who dug themselves a big hole early in the season, could not do enough to pull themselves out of it. But the Oklahoma schools, I have a real problem with that. Oklahoma State beat OU twice, most notably last week in a game that was fairly one-sided. On top of that, Oklahoma State beat Kansas twice, and then played Kansas down to the wire. I talked about this last week, that one thing I liked about the college football playoff committee is that it's not just about looking at a blank resume and saying who won and who lost. There's an angle to this of how is a team playing? How did they play? Did they lose games close? Were they blown out? All these different things. And if you watched Oklahoma State over the past several weeks and you watched Oklahoma, it's not even close. Now, you can say, well, Oklahoma had a great first half of the season, a really good non-conference, a really good January. You know, they were okay. They weren't great. Even when Oklahoma's slide started and the bracketologists had them down around a four seed, that made no sense to me at all. It, It didn't in the slightest bit make any sense as to why that's what was going on here. And when you compare some of these teams and the Quadrant 1 games that everybody's talking about, Oklahoma State had 17 games against teams in the first quadrant, which is one of the criteria that gets used in the new selection committee process. Now, Quadrant 1 is road games against top 75 teams, neutral site games against top 50 teams, and home games against top 30 teams. Oklahoma State had 17 of those games, more than half their schedule. Only North Carolina had more than that with 22. Texas and Oklahoma State tied for second in the nation with 17 Quadrant 1 games. By comparison, Michigan State played seven. Now, Oklahoma State went 5-12 and in those games, but is that, is that that bad? I don't think it is. 
Oklahoma State played a team like Pittsburgh in the non-conference. When that game was scheduled, Pitt was a real program. Kevin Stallings is a garbage coach and treats his players like crap. I've seen it firsthand. I don't feel one bit of sympathy that Pitt went 0-18 in, in ACC play, but Oklahoma State can control that. So this set up a situation where Oklahoma State played some really bad teams in non-conference, Houston Baptist, Mississippi Valley State, Charlotte, Pepperdine, and they couldn't dig out of that in conference play, even though they played pretty well down the stretch. But who else in the country beat a one seed twice? The answer is nobody. Outside of Oklahoma State, who beat Kansas twice and took them down to the wire the third time. That has to be worth something. Ironically, West Virginia almost became the second team to do that because they beat Virginia in the non-conference and then almost beat Kansas last weekend, but that would have been two separate number one seeds. But Oklahoma State, the only team to beat a one seed twice this season. And I know the Cowboys had some tough losses, but this team was coming on hot, playing really good basketball. And I thought the eye test told me that Oklahoma State was an NCAA tournament-worthy team. That's how I viewed this team. And then you look at Oklahoma, which has lost 8 of 10 games, has scuffled its way down the stretch, and somehow, some way, gets in. Now, Oklahoma's got some pretty bad opponents in its non-conference, too. Nebraska, Omaha, Portland, Northwest State of Louisiana. I, these are terrible teams. But if you don't think that for a second there is a Trey Young factor, I don't want to sound like one of those conspiracy guys. I really don't, and I, I don't think I am. But there is absolutely an element of this that is ratings. It doesn't mean the committee was sitting there in a room and saying, you know what, guys, you know, we like ratings, so we got to put Oklahoma in. Trey Young is a headliner. We got to have him in there. That's the reality. There's no way they're saying that. But you know what? You can have a wink, wink, a nod, nod. Um, it doesn't need to be said with words for it to be understood. And that's how I look at what's gone on here with the Oklahoma Sooners and the fact that they got in. I don't think this team had any business being in the NCAA tournament. I, I do not. It's funny how the bracket shook out, too, that, you know, if Young had won, um, this was going to be a matchup with Duke. It's funny how that works, huh? That's just random that Trey Young, when they set the brackets, could have theoretically played Coach K and the Duke Blue Devils. That's just totally random, right? That's not good for TV. Just like Kansas State and the Wildcats are playing Creighton, who has Marcus Foster, who used to play at Kansas State. You're telling me there's no part of this that is about interesting storylines, right? If that's the case, I've got a bridge to sell you. I, I, I do, and I hope, uh, hope you're willing to buy it because it is understood that that is a part of what makes this tournament work interesting matchups, whether it's the first round, the second round, Sweet 16, Elite 8, Final Four. There is an element that goes into it. So I, I just thought the committee got it wrong when it comes to three Big 12 teams. Baylor, I could understand. I would have flip-flopped the Oklahoma schools. Texas felt like a safe bet um, once they took care of business in their opening round last week against Iowa State. I had no problems anywhere else. 
I did not. I thought West Virginia got a short end as a five seed. I would have bumped them up to a four. I was a bit surprised by that. But for the most part, there are not a lot of complaints with how the committee did this thing specifically for the Big 12 Conference. So, you know, there's still plenty of basketball to get to. I hope we have multiple teams in the Big 12 Conference making deep runs. Uh, That remains to be seen at this point, how that's going to play out. But it's an exciting time. When you get 7 of 10 teams and you're arguing about possibly having 9 teams in your conference tournament, it doesn't get much better than that. Think about that. 9 of the 10 fan bases in the Big 12 went into Selection Sunday thinking they had a chance at making the NCAA tournament. What more can you ask for? That is an incredibly successful season. Now, you hope you get a team or two that can make a deep run and get to an Elite Eight uh, from this conference because that does add credibility the deeper a conference gets. But regardless, no one is going to take away the success that this Big 12 conference had this year and say that it was not a good year, it was not a positive year, it was not a productive year because it was all those things for this conference wrapped in the one. And don't let anybody else tell you otherwise. Because this tournament can be fluky sometimes. In the end, you know, it, it's not a it's not like an NBA series where you play a best of three, best of five, best of seven. It's a crapshoot sometimes. And that's the reality. Pete Munda with you on HeartlandCollegeSports.com. Coming up next, some final thoughts on spring football and what's going on in this conference. A lot of new faces at important positions. We'll get to it on Heartland College Sports Weekly. Final few minutes here in Heartland College Sports Weekly. I'm Pete Mundo. Really good stuff at a former West Virginia Mountaineers running back, Remus Smith. And if you missed any of that interview, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. We put up all the show and the interviews. We get them all up on those platforms. So if you came in halfway through the interview, you missed anything, you can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Just search Heartland College Sports. It's uh, very very simple. I promise you that. So we wrap it up. We got a few minutes left. I know the NCAA tournament's all the rage. We turn our attention to baseball pretty soon, but let's not lose sight of spring practice and what's going on here. Because there are a lot of storylines that are hidden, not hidden, but unless you're you're a diehard spring football guy, you might be overlooking. And it's an exciting time for the Big 12 because, and there'll be a lot of time to get to this football stuff, but It's an exciting time because we're waiting to find out who the new face of this conference is going to be, right? Who is going to take over the Big 12 and become that Baker Mayfield? Now, I don't want to say anybody's Baker Mayfield. There's there's a threshold of guys who transcend a conference and transcend a team. Uh, The Tim Tebow's, the Johnny Manziel's, the Baker Mayfield's, those guys transcend that a little bit. But who can step up? and be that person that carries the Big 12. I think it can be Will Greer if that defense is good enough to make the Mountaineers a top 10 to 15 team. I believe he can be that guy. Uh, But I look to a place like Manhattan, Kansas, where I say, okay, who's going to be the quarterback? Bill Snyder's got a pretty darn good team coming back. 
But are we going with Alex Delton, who bailed out Skylar Thompson in that uh, bowl game against UCLA? Or are we going with Skylar Thompson, who looked great against Oklahoma State? I think that's a battle to watch. And my gut tells me that Bill Snyder is going to let that battle play out through spring and through summer, and it's going to ride its course. I, I don't have an inside scoop on that. It's just what my gut tells me, that he's going to let those two guys battle, compete, and fight, with the idea being that it's actually good for both of them, which I can absolutely get on board with. But there's a lot of talent in Manhattan that's coming back from last year and seeing those guys play out and seeing how that goes is going to be something I'm keeping an eye on. And I'm doing the same thing in Austin, Texas, where it's Shane Bouchelle, it's Sam Ellinger. I don't know if either guy is capable of taking this team to the quote-unquote promised land, which is what Texas fans have been waiting for for the better part of a decade. I don't know if they can... Either of them can be that guy. Ellinger had his issues with accuracy. Bouchelle can stay healthy. What are those two guys? I don't know if either of them are premier college football quarterbacks. I'd give Ellinger a little more time because he's more raw. And Bouchelle, I feel like I know what he is, which is a little undersized, a little slight, um, gets injured a lot. And even when he's healthy, he's above average. I don't know if he's great. And then Oklahoma. Kyler Murray's playing baseball. He's at spring practice. This guy is going a mile a minute. And I know that the talent is there that OU could win a Big 12 title, even if Kyler Murray is not the second coming. But OU is now at the point on the recruiting trail and expectation-wise where it's college football playoff time. It's national championship time. Can they do that with Kyler Murray? I haven't seen enough to justify Kyler Murray being a national championship winning quarterback, but there's plenty of time for him to get acclimated. Not that he doesn't know the system, but learn the system as the starter, be that leader, do all those things that we've got to keep an eye on here as spring practice rolls along. So there are just a ton of storylines. Texas Tech has a quarterback battle. Um, I don't think a guy like Kyle Kemp's going to be the face of the Big 12. I love Kyle Kemp. Really like him. But he's not going to be the face of the Big 12. So where is that coming from? My hunch tells me it's Morgantown, West Virginia. That's where I want it to be. The long hair of Will Greer, the, the style of Dana Holgerson, Jake Spavadol, the young hotshot coordinator. There's, a, there's good storylines there. There are a lot of good storylines there. But I also want to see how the rest of this conference and the question marks out there play out. And I know it's hard to get a gauge of that in spring, but it's something that we can certainly keep an eye on as this thing progresses and unfolds moving forward. Pete Mundo with you on Heartland College Sports Weekly. Thank you so much, guys, as always, for joining us, for tuning in, for being a part of the show. As always, we're here every week, same time, same place, same radio station. Also, of course, you find us, podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, we're all over. And, of course, heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. Enjoy the NCAA tournament. We'll talk to you next week. 2,000 country stations, yeah, we're one big country.
country nation, that's right. Thanks so much for listening, guys. You're the best. Do me a favor if you haven't. Rate, review, subscribe, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Every week this podcast has more downloads because of you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'll talk to you soon.